0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mash here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: The magic of technology. Welcome into Crunch Time. A little delayed here on a Tuesday. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0107 one one as we are broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. A local product transfers to one of the biggest programs in college football. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns rake in on yearly softball awards and much more. We'll get into all of that throughout today's show. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, you on your toes a little bit this, morning, this afternoon, bud. Yeah, a little last minute thing pops up right before the show. Kind of got you scrambling, huh? Sit down, the intro's playing. I said, okay, let's do this. And I go to talk and nothing. And then I look. At at the boxes around me, and there's no power to them. Uh, Apparently, a a wire was loose somewhere. Happens all the time. But now we've got it figured out. So we're good. Let's start with the big news. Former Raging Cajuns cornerback Trey Amos has announced that he is transferring to the University of Alabama. He had offers from LSU, among others but decided that Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide would be the best fit for him, no matter how hard his former Cajuns teammate Kyron Lacy tried to push him to Baton Rouge. He had offers from Oklahoma, Miami, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, Oregon, AM, and LSU. James, your thoughts on this move by Trey Amos and how you see it playing out for the former Catholic High Panther?
2: For me, I don't know if this is the best move for him.
1: Yeah, that's,
2: that's my big issue. Is uh, I'm I'm kind
1: of leaning the same way. Unfortunately,
2: we've heard it from people outside of his family, people inside of his family, and from us ourselves. Him leaving the Raging Cajuns to go to an SEC program—it sounds like a great opportunity. But it's like you were practically the number one corner. You you were gonna be the number one corner, yeah, for the Cajuns. So, and we've seen other guys make it to the league. Being with the Raging Cajuns. So, and we've seen other guys, yeah, they've transferred and they've had great success with other programs, but we've also seen guys like Eli Ricks and others that thought Kai Garner, that thought they were going to make a huge transition and like just skyrocket themselves. And And
1: it hasn't worked out. Look, uh, again, I I said this when he entered the transfer portal and, and these offers started to flow in. I hope it works. I wish Trey nothing but the best. But from where I'm seeing it, and from what I've seen in recent years with Eli Ricks and Makai Garner, like we just mentioned, grass may not always be greener. So, you know, we'll we'll leave it at that for now. We'll, we'll see how it plays out over the coming months. Meanwhile, let's take a look at some big news in college softball. Carly Heath gets named the Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year. Maya Davis named the conference freshman of the year. Heath was incredible for Louisiana this season leading the team in runs, extra base hits, homers, RBIs and total bases posting a 443 average with 20 RBIs and 17 stolen bases in Sunbelt Conference play. Meanwhile, Maya Davis ranks top three nationally in stolen bases. She's the third Cajun in program history to reach 40 bases in a season, and she is the first Cajun freshman since 2014 to have 60 base hits in a season. Meanwhile, they put five other players on the all Sunbelt teams. First team, Carly Heath, Maya Davis, Lauren Allred, and the second team, Megan Shorman, Alexa Langler, Sophie Piskos, and Sam Landry. And like Charles McNeese, James, y- you thought seven was good for how many players they put on a on a conference team. How about McNeese putting eight? Chloe Gomez, Alea Seneca, Whitney Tate, Reese Reyna, Riley Bovier, Aaron Ardoin, and Ashley Vallejo all making an all-Southland team. And then we go to the NBA playoffs, and what a game it was for LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, surviving Golden State last night to take a three games to one lead with a final score of 104 to 101, they had to hold off a triple-double A 31-point triple-double from Stephen Curry. 31 points, 14 assists, 10 rebounds. Draymond Green closing in on a triple-double as well. He had 10 rebounds, 7 assists to go along with 8 points. Andrew Wiggins back with 17. Gary Payton Jr., or the second, with 15 points last night as well. Uh, LeBron, 27. Anthony Davis, 23. And Austin Reeves. How many times are we going to talk about that young man? Austin Reeves with 21. If he keeps up these performances, a whole lot more. Yeah, I mean, 7 of 15 shooting 3-6 from, from downtown. Watching last night's game, one thing that stood out to me about Austin Reeves, you know, he, he's known for being a shooter, but I noticed a lot of moments where he had to hustle to make a play. And the speed and athleticism that he showed off at points last night was really impressive because it proved that there's more to his game than just being able to knock down threes. So that was big to to see from Austin Reeves last night. Again, the Lakers lead the series three games to one. Meanwhile, Miami takes down the Knicks 109 To 101, 27 points from Jimmy Butler was enough to fend off 32 from Jalen Brunson. Miami now leads that series three games to one. Of course, we'll talk more about the NBA playoffs a little later on. Four guests today. Louisiana plays Louisiana Tech in Ruston tonight. Matt Bellinson will join us to preview things from the Bulldogs' perspective. Ross Jackson will join us at the top of our number two. Every Tuesday we go to the moon. Brian LaLima will join us to talk about the Astros. And then right in the middle of the 5 o'clock hour at 5.15, Nick Anderson, former Tulane linebacker and coach current member of the New Orleans Saints, he's going to join us, talk about his time at Tulane, and talk about rookie minicamp this week and what the New Orleans Saints will be getting if he earns a 53-man roster spot. All of that and much more coming up on Crunch Time today. Once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. We'll take a timeout and we return, here from Jay Johnson and Jerry Glasgow about their teams on the diamond next week.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: The STM Cougars are headed to Sulphur for the Division II select semifinals, and you can listen to the action live here on the game. Pre-game begins at 445, and first pitch is set for five tomorrow. Danny Jones will be on the call, and you can hear it right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 422. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Fresh off of dropping two out of three to Auburn over the weekend, Jay Johnson and the number two ranked LSU baseball team headed to Thibodeau tonight to take on the Nichols' Colonels. No, never mind. I'm, I'm blanking on that. I am thinking of McNeese who is playing Nichols this evening when you the Tigers are at home to play Northwestern State my apologies Jay Johnson met with the media earlier this week and going back to that Auburn series LSU left 28 Runners on base 28 run opportunities left out of on the base pass and, and Jay Johnson talked about how that's just not acceptable
3: you know yes and no I think um, credit credit Auburn for sure um, you know when you get guys on base which we do is one of the highest on base percentage teams in the country you're going to leave more on if you get a hit or two more on Saturday it's a different game and, and again like we were up we were on base in the right spots in our order and uh, again you take Somebody like Dylan for granted because he comes through 90% of the time. I mean, it wasn't until last week, I think, and it wasn't this weekend. He left the guy on third with less than two outs. He was literally 1,000% at getting the guy in. I mean, that's amazing, you know, this deep end of the season. And, um, yeah, we we, we could be better and and need to be better and have been better and and will be better. We'll just go back to work on being tighter in our plan and, not letting the situation get bigger than that plan as they've done time and time again. And again, it's week eight, I think, if I'm counting right in, in the league. Um, you know, I'll take our team with runners on base and runners in scoring position over anybody.
1: Six thirty first pitch tonight, pregame set for six, and you can catch it right here on the game. Continuing the talk with Jay Johnson, though, you know, how have his players responded? from the weekend in Auburn?
3: Yeah, I mean, we just, we, we talked very briefly after the game yesterday of, um, you know, just improvement, you know, and again, unless you're living this with them every day, like uh, this is something else, you know, this sport, this league, this time right now, and, and I specifically, I mean, baseball is difficult. Um, then you're looking at our league is, is really, really good. I mean really really good that's the 11th place team that team is in first place or second place in any other league in the country right now no question about that so how they've handled the degree of difficulty in that including winning a game on Friday on the road against that caliber team high marks so where do you go you go with where do we need to improve and be better and completely leave it at that and like I said I will I will stand up for them as far as their motivation to be the best as much as any team that, that you possibly could. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to to them responding with, with their character this week.
1: Jay Johnson also w- was asked, you know, when you look at a guy like Dylan Cruz and a pitcher like Paul Skeens, arguably the top two draft prospects in the MLB draft, how does that help with recruiting, knowing that you have two of the top prospects in the upcoming draft?
3: Well, um, there's every player that we're going to recruit has a dream of being a major league player or a high draft pick. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know that in two years time, you can have a better example of, of having the first college position player picked two years in a row and then having the first college pitcher picked like, you know, it's great players are coming here and great players are getting developed here. And, um. For me, that's the that's the message of, you know, that coming to fruition the way that it has. And, uh, you know, I hope players are seeing it, you know, whether it's recruits, transfer portal guys, you know, high school, it doesn't matter. Um, And uh, it's really exciting. And, you know, whoever's up there in the draft, they're going to be very happy, you know, with both those guys.
1: And then lastly, falling to number two in the country for the first time this season. Can you use the new ranking as motivation for your team?
3: I actually, in the best way possible. Like, I think we've only used that to our advantage the entire year. You know, and um, what I mean by that is, the players understand that relative to what happens on the field and results, it's completely irrelevant, and it has been from day one. So, uh, it'll remain that way. I mean, as competitors, you know, obviously love being on top, and my hats off to them for how they've handled that. And I don't, I don't see that as anything.
1: Flipping over to the Cajuns side of things now, Cajun softball preparing to host the Sunbelt Conference Tournament this weekend over at Lampson Park. 43-13 and in the regular season, they captured their fourth straight regular season title under Jerry Glasgow. Yesterday, Coach Glasgow met with the media and was asked about the single elimination format of the tournament, saying, quote, he loves it.
4: What you mean, will it matter going forward and how it affects Yeah, I think it's great. I, I love the single Uh, single elimination format. I think it's going to make the game more important. What I really like about it from our perspective is we want to see the best pitchers going into the regional. And We've got great pitchers in our conference, but if you go back two years ago at Troy, we didn't see Lackey in the championship game. We know, we saw, I don't know what we saw, but I think we scored 16 runs. I, I, I like that we're going to see, I know we're going to see Mullins in game two, and we're going to see Lackey or Hardy in game three. I hope we see Lackey. Um, I think that that's the beauty of the format now is you're going to get each team's best where nobody's playing games trying to get, you know, through the tournament and save somebody. You're going to get their best, and I think that really helps you going into the regional, uh, coming off those, your hitters, getting to see those great pitchers.
1: We talked about Carly Heath getting named Player of the Year, Maya Davis getting named Freshman of the Year, and then the Cajuns were able to put seven players on the all-Sun Belt team. Jerry Glasgow said that his team is in great shape heading into this weekend's conference tournament.
4: I have a great senior weekend. I thought that it was a lot of fun. I thought all three senior pitchers in game one, two, and three uh, were effective and and give us a chance to get the lead in those games by holding them, our opponent, to what one run or no runs. And um, really just really proud of the, the whole senior day weekend. The fans were awesome. The environment was awesome. A lot of energy at the ballpark. And then the girls delivered. Carly Heath was outstanding, both hitting and pitching. Uh, Shoreman had tremendous movement on the ball. And of course, Kander Lamb just you know, got out there. And, and it was really fun to watch her uh, finish and come off the field. And the kids interact with all three pitchers, really, when they come off the field. Showed how important they are to our clubhouse and not just in the circle but to the clubhouse. So great weekend. We got what we we needed to do done. You know, you, you don't want to be disappointed, and there's a lot of ways on senior weekends always risky, but I thought we had three good wins, uh, convincing wins, and we stayed healthy. We didn't get anybody hurt. So I think we're in great shape to go into the conference
1: tournament. 4.30 here on your Tuesday. I want to thank Tiger Bait for sending us the Jay Johnson audio from yesterday's presser once again LSU will host Northwestern State tonight, a 6.30 first pitch pregame at 6, and you can catch it right here on the game. We'll take a timeout. Matt Bellinson joins us next to talk Louisiana and Louisiana Tech.
0: This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios. Here in Upper Lafayette, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Matt Deggs and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, fresh off of their three-game sweep of ULM over the weekend, stayed in North Louisiana. This time they take the trip over on I-20 over to Ruston to take on Louisiana Tech at the Love Shack, J.C. Love Field at Pat Patterson Park. A 6 o'clock first pitch tonight between the Cajuns and the Bulldogs. Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader joins us to talk about the Bulldogs since the last time the Cajuns and the Bulldogs faced off a little less than a month ago. Matt, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty
5: good, guys. Thanks for having me back on. So
1: since yeah. the Bulldogs yeah. and the Cajuns met on April 11th, things have kind of been up and down for, for Louisiana Tech, but I feel like there's been more good than bad. You got a three-game sweep over FIU. You picked up a midweek win over Southern Miss. You won two out of three on the road at Middle Tennessee. And then you you took two out of three at home this past weekend against UAB. Uh, where, where are the Bulldogs headed into tonight's matchup?
5: Yeah, I think it's like you said. I think it's just been an up and down you know, the past couple of weeks, and really that's been their whole season. If you look at it, you know, like you mentioned, even though it's positive that you got those series wins, you know, against Middle Tennessee and UAB. I mean, you're you're at this point in the season where you got to take care of the wins that are on the table for you. And while it's encouraging to know that the the Bulldogs are in a position where they can sweep or, or take care of business against UAB, you, know, you got to sweep that team. I mean, they came in 15 and 30 on the season. Um, and that's just kind of, I think, been the Bulldogs' just kind of MO this year. Is just when you feel like they're kind of turning the corner um, and kind of have some positive momentum, um, they can't seem to put it all together. And, you know, unfortunately, I think coming into tonight, I think the key is you've got to kind of flush that Sunday loss away and make sure that it doesn't bottle over, you know, into this one. You know, that's been the Bulldogs' struggles this year. Um, is obviously, you know, they either lose a series or they lose a Sunday game, and then it kind of rolls over into the midweek matchups um, where they're four and eight in midweeks this year. I feel like that's, you know, the many defining uh, attributes of this season, not being able to take care of the midweeks and, frankly, the games that you're supposed to win. Um, it's kind of defined this season. And, and while it is encouraging that they're starting to take some series, um, they're still not at the point where they want to be.
1: Looking at the statistics um, so far this year, six players. With 25 plus RBIs so far on the season, talk about the offensive production from the Bulldogs, especially George Corona, Dalton Davis, and Philip Matulia.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, even though the losses have been piling up for this group, um, it has been encouraging to see that this lineup is kind of starting to turn into a lineup. You, know, you mentioned George Corona, you got Dalton Davis, Ethan Bates, or Philip Matulia. You know, for a large stretches of the season, it was really three or four guys that were just carrying this offense on their shoulders. Um, you know, pretty low home run numbers across the board for a lot of their you know, contributors from a season ago. But that being said, guys like Logan McLeod, you know, Dalton Davis, Ethan Bates, you know, Gordie Dross for a couple at-bats here and there. And, you know, they're starting to pick things up, and they're starting to make this a full lineup that you have to take advantage of and you have to kind of, you know, put down. Obviously, like can mentioned, George, um, he's had some pretty, you know, solid at-bats in his last couple of, you know, meetings. Um, but I would say for him, the challenge is making sure he's not striking out with runners on base. He is he is an extra base threat, you know, with home run power and a lot of doubles this year. But for him, you know, just getting that timely hit with guys on, um, it actually hasn't come, that, you know, too often for the Bulldogs. You know, when he's up to bat. Um, but I think, like you mentioned, you know, guys like Ethan Bates, you know, getting his you know twelfth home run of the season over the weekend, um, along with you know nine saves on the mound too. I mean, he's just a really great two way player for the Bulldogs. Um, and then yeah, Dalton Davis, again, a, a nice guy that you can put at the top of your lineup kind of sets the table for you know guys like Corona. Or dross or McLeod. And I think if you're Louisiana Tech, that has to be something that you hope continues because. Unfortunately, this the pitching staff is just it, it, it continues to not be at the level where they need to be, and I think and whether you might ask about it here in the next couple of minutes, but um, I mean that's what played them in this first matchup with ULL. I mean they, you know, the Raging Cajuns didn't score outside of two innings. Um, other than that, I mean they, the Bulldogs just could not put anyone on the mound you know, that could basically give their offense a chance, and I mean allow them you know a chance to win that game. So for as encouraging of the offense has been, I think the story has been that the pitching staff, outside of Jonathan Fincher. Um, Atlanta and Tompkins. You you really don't know
1: what you're going to get on a given night. A 10-5 victory for the Cajuns back on April 11th at Russo Park. Matt Bellinson of the Ruston Leader joining us here on Crunch Time. Looking at the pitching matchup tonight, Matt, Alec Sparks is going to go for the Bulldogs, the 6-foot 485-pound junior out of a meet. 3-3 on the season with a 5.33 ERA. Talk to me about Alec Sparks, and what the Cajuns could expect out of him on the bump tonight.
5: Yeah, you know, when you said the word expect, I just kind of laughed because, you know, frankly, Alec is just one of those guys where you feel like, again, he, he's given you so many opportunities uh, to win games, and, and the Bulldogs just haven't been able to you know, capitalize. And then at the same time, there are stretches where, you know, he goes on the mound and he can't even throw, you know, more than an inning for you. I mean, he was a guy, you know, a couple of weeks ago that burrows through into the weekend rotation and just kind of you know, switch things up. And, you know, for a while there, he, he was kind of going along pretty well. And, then, you know, the last couple outings for him as a starter, just he just did not produce at the level that was expected. And so, yeah, now he's back to the back to the bullpen and back to a midweek starting role. And I think if you're ULL, you have to jump on him early. You know, unfortunately for Alec, you know, he's one of those guys where, you know, if you, if you put runners on base with him, you know, unfortunately he's just one of those guys where it's going to kind of get to his head. And like I mentioned before, you know, he's prone to not go too long in his start- and I think when you look at those stats, I mean, when he hasn't gone over, you know, two innings even, um, he's getting a lot of hits off of him pretty early, a lot of extra base hits at that, um, and he's not throwing strikes, and so I think if you're UL, you just got to stay patient at the plate, and unfortunately let Sparks just you know continue to rack up a, a you know, high-pitch count, and I think eventually you're going to recognize that you know, he's probably going to give you one or two, and I think if you put a couple runners on base and start to threaten, you know, I think unfortunately for the Bulldogs, you know, I don't know how much longer he can go, you know, once he, you know starts getting in his head there.
1: Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader joining us here on Crunch Time. Once again, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns playing Louisiana Tech at JC Love Park tonight. Six o'clock first pitch from the Love Shack. Matt, really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it.
1: And there he goes, Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader. Looking at some top stories. In sports, men's basketball legend Denny Crum passed away at the age of 86 earlier today. He is a Hall of Fame college basketball coach that led Louisville to two national championships in the 80s, played college basketball under John Wooden at UCLA in the 50s, was an assistant under Wooden, bringing three national titles to UCLA as well, and Louisville hired him in 1971, and the program rose to national prominence with him at the helm.
2: And then how about Spencer Aaron Getty? Yeah.
4: He's, he's the,
2: the Astros
1: future pitcher of the week this week. The The former Louisiana Ragin' Cajun has really shined in double-A ball, started off a little, a little sluggish, but over his last two starts has been... Really impressive. Uh, you know, he, he's gotten back to back starts of five innings combined for five hits, only one run. He has struck out ten. He's walked four. Uh batters are only hitting one fifty-six against him in his last two starts so far in the month of May. Uh, once again, named the Astros Futures pitcher of the week. Astros Futures is a uh prospect page for Astros fans. Again, 10 innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. Not bad numbers for, for Spencer Arrighetti. Speaking of Corpus Christi, how about Drew Gilbert? The former Tennessee volunteer and current Astros top prospect was called up to A last night for the Corpus Christi hooks from Fayetteville. Gets called up from high A to A, Just... 21 games into the season. Now, we'll talk with Brian Lima about this a little later, but James, I've heard people say that Drew Gilbert's going to get fast-tracked through the minor league program, but 21 games. I was going to say, he's kind of fast-tracking right now, huh? That's quick. Right. Like If he keeps up this pace, he could be a September call-up for the Astros. And he could have an Astros uniform for the playoffs, which is insane to think about. Which you uh, may have to go to if you keep getting injuries to these Astros oh my players. Oh, God. Everywhere you look, somebody's getting hurt. I mean, Chaz is back, which is good. Brantley's supposed to be back later this week or next week, which Jose is good. Jose should be back Jose's, at some point soon. Jose's supposed to be back by the end of the month. But in, in terms of a pitching rotation, I mean, Luis Garcia's out. Jose Urquidy's out. Lance McCullers McCullers still hasn't come back. I mean, everywhere you look, somebody's getting hurt. I'm not super impressed with the way Fromber's pitched to start the year. Maybe my expectations are too high after what he did last year, but his, his numbers don't jump out at me early on. Hunter Brown has been great as a rookie. JP France had a hell of a debut in Seattle. But... How much longer can you depend on, not necessarily Hunter Brown, but it's looking at J.P. France, how many times can you depend on a minor league guy that might not be ready for the big league level to step up and succeed for you like he did the other night in in Seattle going five scoreless innings? You need to figure out a way. Maybe bring in a veteran at the trade deadline. I don't know. I don't know what Dana Brown and the Astros are going to do. But your poll question of the day is, what concerns you most about the Astros? Uh, I'm going injuries in the pitching rotation. Because, look, position players, Jose Altuve may be important, but you've seen Mauricio Dubon step up in a big way. You need pitchers. You need reliable pitchers. You need dependable pitchers. You need good pitchers. Ask LSU from, from this past weekend in Auburn. Outside of Paul Skeen's, it wasn't pretty. And, and Ty Floyd. Ty Floyd was pretty good. But you need pitching to win games. And the more depleted this Astros bullpen becomes, the more worrisome that it's going to to get because we we joke about the Angels being the little MVPs with Otani and Trout look Trout didn't get a base hit last night and you still lost everyone else on that
2: starting lineup got at least a hit one of of their generational MVP
1: talents did Jack and you still lost look I, I know it's early you've played 35 games There's still 130 more to play. I I get it. But at some point, you've got to figure out a way to get ahead of the injury bug. Because if you don't, it's going to be a long, long, long hammock season for the defending world champs. That's all I'm saying. 4.48. We'll take a timeout. We return. James Mesh is going to fill you in on everything you need to know about the NBA playoffs, including a critical Game 5 for his Boston Celtics in Beantown tonight, right here on The Game.
0: This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: If you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, don't you worry because the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake, Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. This time, Houston takes on the Oakland Athletics on Saturday, May 20th. Go register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side, Stingley steps inside, the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. A shot to left field, going back on its goal. Tigers and Houston
2: Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up our number one here from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. What do you think is the biggest concern for the Houston Astros? Do you think it's the bullpen? The starting pitchers getting injured? The position players getting injured, or do you think it's something else right now? 43% of the votes leads towards the starting pitchers getting injured. Looking at the NBA playoffs, a couple of games happened last night. The Los Angeles Lakers now taking the 3-1 lead over the Golden State Warriors 104-101. And boy, oh boy, I know, I I agree, boo, boo. But what a hell of a fourth quarter. By Lonnie Walker the fourth. Didn't take a shot the first three quarters. Went six for nine. Hit clutch bucket over after clutch bucket over Steph and other players for the Warriors. Who?
1: Lonnie Walker the fourth? Who? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I know who Lonnie <laughs> Walker the fourth is. But yeah, I mean, I, I watched most of the second half of this game, and you're right. Hadn't taken a shot going into the fourth quarter, and just, and not just. Set shots, like he was pulling off some acrobatic. No, he was doing some ISO. It, it was it was incredible. It was some
2: isolation plays. I mean,
1: there was there was one play, he literally it, it he moved so quickly. I thought he caught the inbound pass midair and just went up for the shot immediately. But he pulled. He got the inbound pass, took maybe half a step and, and pulled up from probably fifteen feet and just. Drilled it like net barely moved,
2: hammered it home. Right, it was fantastic. And then there was another play where he had Curry stumbling.
1: Yeah, and he, then he he pulled he, up for
2: the deep two. I was like, ooh he, ooh. he he
1: he did he did break Curry's ankles one time. He actually he actually did it twice. And the second time he missed the shot. Uh, but there was one where where he got the best of Curry and was able to hit the shot. But yeah, you know, one hundred four to one hundred one close game last night. Lakers now up three one. And we we talked about the the Heat Knicks earlier, but James, I want to get your take on tonight. Oh, tonight game five, Celtics Sixers, two two series. They're back in Boston. I'm not gonna say you need a win, but a win would be very helpful, right, for Boston. Uh, what do what are your thoughts on tonight?
2: It's tough because during the regular season. The Celtics were 32 and 9 at home, so you felt pretty good about their chances. But they've already lost two games at home. They lost game five to the Hawks, and they had lost game one to the Sixers earlier in this series. So it's not really a guarantee that even though you're in the garden, you're going to win it. It's not like the Golden State Warriors. But I'm looking at tonight Jason Tatum. You got to have a faster start. You can't rely on the second half where you score 20 points because he only had two in the first half of game four. He needs to start off faster. I'm looking at it. Joe Mazzula had talked about it. He said he should have called at least one of the timeouts because if you remember on that last play of game four, when they just said we're just going to play it out and they were down one, you could have called one or both of your timeouts at that point instead Correct. of just and coming up with a play. And Missoula said that post game. He should have called the timeout. Right. Because if you look at the Celtics offense, a lot of the time it's they just kind of make it up as they go along. They kind of read and react to how the opponent's defense is playing and they just make a play based on that. And have a certain set of like, hey, like if you see this start moving. But outside of that, they just kind of read and react and do it on the fly. But at that point, make a play to set up Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown to take a shot, and but the big thing tonight, you got to make sure Harden doesn't light you up again. Because if he starts going for forty again, I don't like your chances. Rorish Roar, I, I agree. You got to hold Harden under thirty-five because tonight, and be getting 25, 30, and like having a double-double with that. It's like he's probably going to do that no matter what. But it's you gotta try and contain Harden because I'm not scared of Tyrese Maxey right now. If you get Yang to do it, or someone else, or PJ Tucker to shoot shots, go
1: for it. Boston a seven and a half point favorite tonight inside the Garden. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We're gonna kick it off with our guy Ross Jackson previewing rookie mini camp for the New Orleans Saints right here on the Game Southwest Louisiana's Sports
0: Station. You're clocked out. We're, we're locked, locked in. in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Our number two of Crunch Time is here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337 706 we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In our number one, we talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, LSU Tigers, McNeese Cowboys slash Cowgirls, looked at the NBA playoffs, and previewed the Louisiana Tech-Louisiana baseball matchup tonight. Here in our number two, we're going to talk a whole lot about the New Orleans Saints, and the Houston Astros as they are in sunny California to play the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Never quite understood that, but, you know, to to each their own, I guess. Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints and a member of the Saints News Network, joins us here on the game hotline. Ross, my friend, happy Tuesday, sir. How are you?
6: Hey, homie! Glad to be here with you. man. Thanks for having me on. You know, I I lived uh, for more than ten years in Los Angeles, and I, I never got it. Never understood it.
1: Like you used never to be, the, you used to be the California Angels, and then you were the Anaheim Angels, and now you're the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Like it just doesn't make sense.
6: Yeah, I I don't know. I, I it it's got to have something to do with somebody with money somewhere saying something. That that's the <laughs> that's the only way that I could figure that it all goes down. But you know what? We have we we have uh, more sensible sensible topics than whatever that right. situation is <laughs> absolutely
1: rookie minicamp getting ready to get underway this weekend otas around the corner as well uh, you know what are what are you expecting out of minicamp this weekend who are you expecting to really make a push at a roster spot
6: well, I mean, I, I think, I mean, you're looking at the, the drafted rookies kind of first and, and foremost. Those are some of the guys that you're, you know, kind of most excited to see. You know, see what it is that the Saints are kind of you get an early glimpse of maybe what it is that they're looking at with them or, you know, how they might be able to adjust to the NFL team and NFL speed and things like that, the NFL game. I think those are all things that you're looking forward to. So I think, you know, you start with the first round, second round guys. Uh, you know, Kendra Miller is a, a specifically interesting guy, too, as a third rounder. But considering the position that he plays and sort of the situation that the Saints are in at that position going into 2023, that's obviously going to be very interesting. Um, you know, all of us are very excited to see, you know, what we learn about A.T. Perry, the Saints' six-round selection, uh, the wide receiver out of Wake Forest, especially considering all the needs sort of at the wide receiver position that they have had over the course of the past few years but that have done such a great job, um, you know, addressing those. So, obviously – you know, that's a huge piece that we're – those are all big pieces that we're going to be watching all throughout. But then, you know, you look at the – you know, this is a great time for undrafted free agents, but themselves on the map as well. And the think they have a really, really good UDFA class. Um, you know, one of those guys, of course, is on the way here in just a moment. Proud to be opening up for him And Nick Anderson out of, uh, out of Tulane. But, you know, you look at some of the other guys that are around, like Sir Roderick Thompson as well as uh, Jalen Flowers, the explosive kick returner out of Montana. I mean, there's endless potential here for this New Orleans Saints rookie class. So, you know, getting an opportunity to see these guys start to get to work with these coaches, uh, there's a lot to look forward to uh, Look forward to in all this.
1: There's no better opening act than than Ross Jackson.
6: <laughs> I mean,
1: a, a, an opening act worthy of, of being the headliner, am
6: I right? <laughs> I sure hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> so no, but it's a, it's a real pleasure. It's a real pleasure, seriously.
1: So, Ross, you know, looking at the we'll, – we'll start with the drafted rookies – the more that you've kind of broken down the draft class and looked at each guy
6: individually,
1: do you have one that you like maybe more than the rest?
6: Oh, good question. I, uh, you know, I, I tend to get really excited about guys that I, I felt I was kind of like screaming into the void about before the draft. And so AT Perry is definitely like one of those guys. I, you know, he was an easy, uh, match for the new Orleans saints that I think is, uh, You know that I think a lot of people saw just terms of his size, combination of height, weight, speed. Where the Saints could use a little bit more help, all that, and so you know I think he's a guy that I'm I'm really excited about. And of course, you get excited about a position like wide receiver, um, you know, coming out of the, the draft because it's so easy to sort of get excited about that position and for that position to begin to translate. Uh, out on the field. So I I think that's obviously a big one, but I, you know, I've, I've been trying to make a point here recently to not sleep on Jordan Howden, the safety out of, um, out of Minnesota. He's a player that has, that comes into the NFL game with uh, a ton of experience. He's played over 3000 snaps on defense, over 500 career snaps uh, on special teams. And four out of his five years with the golden gophers, he played over 200 snaps in the slot, top 300 twice. I mean, this guy's just kind of done, Everything, um, and he's done all the things that he'll have to do in order to make an NFL roster. So he's somebody that I, I'm that I particularly find myself uh, excited about going into uh, camp. That maybe isn't getting the play of you know guys that are you know top round selections and, and, and things like that.
2: Now, Ross, you talked about A.T. Perry, and I don't know if you you were with us when I've mentioned it before, but I've been high on him, and I was saying even in my mock drafts, like Saints go get him in mm-hmm. the in the third round. and You got him in the sixth. So to me, he's a guy that reminds me a lot of Marcus Colson, but maybe a little yeah. bit faster. How do, do you think he could be that guy that could potentially take over Michael Thomas's role in the coming years?
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would give him you know uh, about as good a chance as anyone that has gotten the opportunity to step into a Saints uniform and potentially brandish that, uh, that opportunity and that responsibility. You know, I would give him those odds over just about any of the other guys, so Brian Edwards and, and some of the other folks that they've brought in in, in recent years uh, to try to serve that role. I, I think six foot three, two. You know, hovers right around two hundred pounds. I think one of his measurements, is, his pro day was like one hundred ninety eight, and that his or his pro day was two hundred and two, but his combine was one ninety eight. But you know, you look at where it is that he comes in and. Had, you know, enormous catch radius, big bodied guy that could do more than big bodied things, which I think is really important in the NFL. It kind of takes you back to a guy like T. Higgins uh coming into the league. He was you know one of those guys that was a big body dude, but everyone was like, Can he do anything more than the jump ball? And it was so clear that he could. AT Perry, it's just as clear with him. Comes in with four four seven speed and a thirty-four inch vertical already standing at six foot three. So you know he can go up there and he can high point your passes. He can win at the catch point. He's really physical through uh, you know uh, when battling through physical coverage and everything. And so I think those are the things that will help him not only just be a big guy and win those those contested catch situations, but will allow him to separate. You know he has a good idea of how to, or a really good uh, motor on him. He's got a really good mind for how to stack and decelerate to create natural uh, separation against his defenders. He can run the route tree, even though he wasn't asked to do a ton of that at week Forest. He can, you know, he, he has a desire to operate out of the slot just as much as out on the outside. Even though he spent over like 97 or something, 92% of his time on the outside at some of the uh, football or, or reception, perception, excuse me, samples. So uh, I think that, you know, he has just about as good a an op- opportunity as anybody as you know, a young player coming onto a New Orleans Saints roster in the last five years or so that can become the ex-receiver that you watched Michael Thomas become, which doesn't necessarily mean catching 149, 150 passes in a season, but being the guy that can run that route tree and handle the weak side draw coverages, occupy a defense.
1: Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, joining us here on Crunch Time. Talk about Kendra Miller at, at the running back spot. I mean, with the Alvin Kamara suspension inevitable at this point how important will it be you know you had the offseason signing of Jamal Williams and now you bring in a young guy in Kendra Miller who who can do a lot of the things that Alvin does well Uh, talk about that running back tandem in the absence of Alvin Kamara and how that shapes the future for the Saints
6: yeah I I think Kendra Miller is a fantastic player and all the things that I'm about to say about him are even more important when you keep in mind that at the time that we're speaking here, he's he's 20 years old. He turns 21 next month. And so by the time the NFL season begins, he'll only be 21 years old. And so you, look, you want a guy that can run in between the tackles, one cut, but be patient and wait for the blocks in front of him to develop, kind of like a Le'Veon Bell type in terms of that patience. Sure, that's what he can be. You want a guy that's going to be able to burst through – Uh, those holes in between tackles, he can be that guy too. You want him to get around the edge, he's got the speed to do that, and he's got the breakaway speed to take it home if if defenders end up behind him. He wasn't asked to catch a lot while he was at TCU, only 26 career catches during that time, but it was clear that he can catch. He had to pluck some of those passes up off the turf. He had to catch outside of his frame on screen passes when Max Duggan and other quarterbacks were under pressure, things like that. So you can see the reception ability there. And this guy just has the greatest... um, Kind of attitude and 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 demeanor. I mean, he he has such confidence. Um, you know, he did his Zoom call with us right after he was drafted, and the guy was in a suit coat, no shirt on, with a chain. And I was like, oh, okay, so you're already in New Orleans? Fantastic! <laughs> like it just it just makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? And so you, you the Saints wanted a guy who's going to be versatile and be able to contribute in a bunch of different ways, and that's that's who Kindred Miller. Already is, and he's got a lot of development ahead of him, but he's got a lot of time to develop ahead of him as well. You think about Alvin Kamara, um, Jamal Williams, I think they'll be either be 29 or almost 29 at the time that the season starts, which means in three years, when they're 33 years old, we're talking about Kendra Miller at 24. And that's a really good situation to where if he pans out, it's a good situation for the Saints to be in.
1: And then obviously, you know, you look at the first two picks, Brian Brissy and Isaiah Foskey, to beef up the, the defensive line, Foskey's a guy that I really like. Long wingspan, quick first step out of Notre Dame. Talk about him and Embree stepping in with guys with the veterans like Cameron Jordan and Carl Granderson to really, you know, take this defensive line to the next level.
6: Yeah, I mean, you know, Cam Jordan's happy, right? I mean, he was all over Twitter doing his mock drafts and he wanted defensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive tackle, you know, rounds one through seven, if he had the opportunity. And the Saints let it off with, with the defensive tackle Brian Brazil. And look, I know that Brazil doesn't check the production boxes in the way, in the, the, you know, collegiate level production boxes in the way that Isaiah Fosky does. Uh, but, you know, a lot of context around Brian Prissy, and I think the thing that makes him special is his ability to manage adversity and to come together and put together one of his better seasons uh, last year, despite everything, or, or not really despite, but, you know, in concert with everything that he was navigating. The death of his little sister at 15 years old, the uh, kidney infection that he had, he was coming off his of shoulder surgery, all these other things. And he put together what was his second best season and by some metrics his best season last year, even though, you know, the sack numbers weren't on the rise or anything like that. But you have to remember the guy was playing in the interior and what those and, and really was being moved all around the line. And I think that's one of the other things that kind of makes Brian Brzee special is not only his ability to navigate adversity and to be a tried and tested and true defensive lineman, but he's played everywhere from five technique over the inside shoulder of the tackle all the way down to nose-to-nose at nose tackle with the center, with the opposing center. and So, you know, he's got the versatility, he's got the experience, he's got the talent. This is the number one recruit coming out of high school in the country, ahead of Bryce Young, who went first overall this year. I mean, this guy can, you know, absolutely has all the tools to be a star on the defensive interior where the Saints needed a star. And so I think that if nothing else to begin his seed, to begin his career, he likely won't be that. But, you know he'll be a plug and play guy that you can throw into the mix, and he'll start to get some production for you pretty early. And I feel similarly about Isaiah Foskey. But I think the thing that keeps Isaiah Foskey on the field early on in his career is his ability against the run. Um, his speed, with that four-five speed at his size, is really impressive. Uh, and his ability to be able to be somebody to help this team when it comes to going up against mobile quarterbacks because they'll see their fair share in 2023.
1: I know you got some schedule leaks. What have you heard about the schedule?
6: The only real schedule leak that I have was the one that the German newspaper just went out and printed up out of nowhere, saying that the Saints and Patriots are going to be playing in Germany. Uh, we'll see if that holds up. I think we'll find that out. The international games actually going to be released a day in advance of the, uh, the NFL schedule, and so that would be tomorrow. Uh, so I would keep an eye out on that. The rumor is that that's going to be November 12th, November 19th, somewhere around there. And if that's the case, that would mean that the Saints would go back-to-back international trips. Uh, in, in you know, on the NFL schedule, which has not happened very often. Um, which is but, brutal. You know, the Saints have been, yeah, but the Saints have been, you know, wildly successful um, internationally. I know they just lost last year, but up until then they were undefeated in their previous three trips. And so, uh, you know, I think a, a little trip to Germany to take on Tom, well, the, the non Tom Brady New England Patriots, almost at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't know where, but the, you know, the, the post era um, New England Patriots, uh, it's a good matchup for them. Uh, away from home and potentially away from their home country. We'll see if that that ends up being true and if they they do end up traveling to Germany. But um, hey, look, I'm up for a I'm up for a trip to Germany. That's, right. that's fine for me.
2: I was gonna say if it does come to fruition, are you going to Germany? And if so, are you getting some bratwurst?
6: Uh, I, I, yes. Uh, yeah. Why not? I mean, i you know, you, you only live once, right? So <laughs> might as well. Go. Right. I mean, not that that would be my first time having bratwurst, but it'd be my first time having bratwurst where, uh, bratwurst, uh, was Is that bratwurst, where bratwurst was invented. Authentic bratwurst, right. It sounds like it. So I don't know. I, I'm, I would be excited about it. I've always wanted to go to Germany. I, for whatever reason, wasted like three years of my high three of my high school years learning German instead of Spanish. I remember none of it. Uh, but you know, maybe some of it will will come back when I get over there. If that's all, where we end up this
1: season, all I can tell you is Guten Morgan.
6: Uh, okay, that one I know. I, that's, that's all one I, I know. can tell you. I, well, it's a little late in the day for it, but I'll take it. Right, right. Just Ross, not, if you want to say good night, you know,
1: Ross, I know. Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, joining us here on Crunch Time. Ross, appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy mini camp. Enjoy the schedule release, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
6: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.
1: And there he goes, Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints Five Seventeen. We'll take a timeout, and we return. Nick Anderson, former Tulane linebacker who gathered over a hundred career tack over two hundred career tackles, and led Tulane to the Cotton Bowl last year. He joins us next. Talks about his time at Tulane and what the Saints could be getting out of him if he earns a fifty-three man spot. That and much more coming up next, right here on the game.
0: This is Crunch Time on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: The Game has a brand new app, and it is your one-stop shop for all things The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Download the free mobile app today for your Apple or Android device by searching The Game, Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio.
5: We just washed the hair. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair.
0: Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's Sports Station. Station.
1: Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Saints minicamp, rookie minicamp that is, right around the corner. Prime opportunity for players to prove that they earned one of the 53 spots on an NFL roster Joining us now on the game hotline is an undrafted free agent out of Tulane University. He's a linebacker from Vicksburg, Mississippi, Mr. Nick Anderson. Nick, what's going on, man? How are you?
7: Nothing much, man. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me.
1: So, let's start. Let's go back to to high school, you know, you, you were talk talk about your recruiting process, you know, in, in Vicksburg and, you know, what kind of drew you to Tulane after spending just one semester at, a, at Jones County Community at Junior College?
7: Yes, sir. So um, in high school, my senior year, I didn't really receive um, any FBS offers. I had a lot of FCS offers from smaller Division One programs. But, you know, growing up in Mississippi, you know, you... I grew up watching Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, Alabama, because it's big-time ACC country. And so I always had that dream of playing big-time Division One level football. You know, no knocks to the teams that offer me opportunities coming out of high school on the FCS level. But my dream was to play on the FBS level and play at the highest le- highest level of college football. So I really just took the gamble on myself of saying, you know what, you know, I have the grades, I have the academics, and I could take a semester and go to junior college route to get re-recruited, get seen by, you know, bigger universities. And then at least I'll have those opportunities left. So I took the junior college route, took the gamble on myself, and really just got after it, man. Went into junior college with a chip on my shoulder, um, met some great people, played under some great coaches, um, played on a great team. We ended up going to the JUCO um, Mississippi State Championship that year and then I got offers from different FBS programs, and it came down to Ole Miss, Tulane, and South Alabama. And Ole Miss really was in that number one spot for a minute, you know, being that, you know, I am from Mississippi, uh, grew up watching uh, the Rebels, man, just really wanted to stay close to home, but just felt like I would be more prioritized at Tulane. felt like Tulane would give me a bigger opportunity to, you know, get on the field early. Um, I knew Coach Willie Fritz I had experience with programs and building them up. And I knew Tulane was on the rise. Um, And so my defensive coordinator at Jones ended up uh, talking to me at the time, and he was like, you know, due to your size and due to your intangibles, he said, you have a better opportunity of going and playing in the NFL by going to Tulane and making a name for yourself versus just going to Ole Miss and just being another guy on the roster. And he was like, that's not a knock to your talent and abilities. He just, that's just the way that, you know, power five and he works, you know, a lot of the things, that goes into guys getting those opportunities comes with the hype that they get and also their measurables in which you wasn't you know blessed with the standard measurables so you know he advised me to go to Tulane and you know really make a name for myself so I really just took that into consideration um, came down to Tulane had a great official visit it really felt like home I could tell that the relationships between the coaches and the coaches and the players were genuine and a lot of places I had been you know everything seemed scripted. Um, But I can just tell the genuineness throughout the program and decided to come down here. And also academics had also been something that was prioritized um, at a very young age. Um, So Tulane being so academically rigorous, um, it was a no-brainer at that point.
1: Yeah, you know, you brought up academics. uh, When I was preparing for this interview, not only did I see that you graduated third in your class in high school, but I saw that your mom held you out of football when you got a B plus, <laughs> talk, talk about that,
7: man. Uh, my mom, man, that's my rock. That's my, that's my heart and soul. Um, and she has always been on me about academics um, since I can remember. I never forget, you know, being in kindergarten actually and getting my first uh, report card and making all A's. And then she sitting me down and explaining to me that that would be the standard um, for the years to come through elementary. Until you know, I was able to obtain a scholarship. She just explained to me um, at the young age of five to six that you know she couldn't pay for me to go to school. She couldn't afford it um, because she had you know some student loan debt, and you know she just wasn't knew she wasn't going to be in a financial situation to really provide me that opportunity to go to college. Um, so she told me that I would have to you know make all A's so I can have the academic opportunities to further my education. And so she stayed on me all the way through elementary school, through middle school, and then I got to high school. My freshman year, and I, I'll never forget it. My freshman year was the second semester, uh, the third end of the third nine weeks, and I was in Spanish class and got an uh, 87 in the class. And I had been, you know, slacking that uh, semester, that nine weeks, and ended up getting the 87. I went to the teacher after I got my grades and was like. Is there anything I can do? Like, my mom's going to kill me. I've never made a B uh, in my life. Um, She takes it very, very seriously. I I don't know what she's going to do. And so the teacher uh, luckily ended up, you know, letting me complete some uh, extra assignments to raise that grade up to a 90. And she ended up changing the grade to a 90. And I went on for, like, maybe a week and a half um, before, you know, my mom called me into a conference with the teacher. And my mom had been monitoring my grades. And so she asked the teacher to change my grade back to 87. Um, and then she took me off the team uh, that spring semester, which was uh, crucial because we had just gotten a new coaching staff that came in in January. And, you know, I was on the verge of, you know, potentially a, a battling for a starting position uh, come that fall and fall. So it really set me back. So at the time I was really, you know, devastated, um, really frustrated at her. But she taught me two things through that experience experience. The first thing she taught me is, you know, never take any handouts. You know, whatever I earn, uh, take it with a chip on my shoulder and keep going forward, you know, because anything that somebody gives me they can take away from me. But if I earned it, they can never take it from me. And also she just taught me the importance of academics. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, they really showed me, you know, how important academics was aside from football. Um and I feel like without that lesson, you know, I wouldn't have taken things as serious as continuing to go hard and graduate number three in my class. And also graduating cum laude from Tulane University. So looking back at it, I was very upset at the time, but it definitely paid off in the end.
1: Talk about your time at Tulane. You know, you you brought up head coach Willie Fritz, you know, looking at your numbers, over 200 career tackles with the Green Wave. And then last year, 113 total tackles, seven of them for loss. You had two sacks and a blocked kick as well. Uh, Just kind of talk about the the special season that the Green Wave had this past year, winning the conference championship and shocking USC in the Cotton Bowl.
7: Most definitely. I mean, last season was a true Cinderella story. Uh, I'm I'm grateful to be a part of it, grateful to have had a front row seat and the way everything went. Um, And last season really just was a testament to, you know, what can be done when everybody gets together unselfishly and just pushes each other towards a common goal. You know, we had had the two and ten season a year prior. Um, we really was at the bottom of college football. Uh, had been counted out by everybody, and we knew that the only people that we could depend on was the people in the organization, the coaches, the players, the support staff. And we really just cemented that into our program. You know, these day and days and age with college football, you have the transfer portal, and, which is so easy to get into. It's so easy to drop everything and go start somewhere else. But, you know, me and the other captains and the seniors got together and was like, you know, why not do it at Tulane? You know, we went through the season. We know that we were capable of winning way more than two games. That uh, two and ten season. So we was like, you know, let's let's go do it. Let's come together, see what we did wrong, see what we need to improve to go off and everything for this season. And so we just got after that off season. You know, got after it, and then Tulane, Coach Fritz, they did a great job of hiring strength coach, Coach uh, Kurt Hester. And he went in and implemented a lot of things that we were trying to do with our programs, such as, you know, building that true brotherhood and family atmosphere. And you know, usually you have strength coaches come in and they say, Okay, we gotta get stronger, we gotta get faster and things on the physical aspect. But Coach Hester really was a mental guy. He was like, you know, we gotta play for each other, we gotta become brothers, we gotta become a family, you know, everything else will take care of itself. And so having him, you know, implement that you know, during the offseason season, while the coaches were going recruiting and things like that, really set the mentality for when the coaches came back in the summer and we got everything up and rolling. So heading to the season, um, really just got after it. You know, started off strong with three uh, wins. Uh, the big win versus Kansas State and that really showed us our potential what we can do. Then we came home and was humbled by Southern Miss. Um, and at that point, you know, a lot of teams may you know took their tail behind that loss to a rival opponent, but. We really stood the test of time and was like, you know what, everything that we want um, and everything that we achieved for this season is still very much obtainable. And came back and really just started that one and zero mentality going into the short week versus Houston. And, you know, after getting that win versus Houston uh, with the third-string quarterback and, um, and Kyle Horton and, you know, just battling and, and getting that win versus somebody who was picked to win the conference really showed us that we're the best of the best and we just kept that one old mentality all through the rest of the season, man, and capping it off, you know, beating the Hosman Trophy winner, um, in beautiful Dallas Cowboys Stadium, um, uh, really just set everything off to really just be a mesmerizing season and be an illustration of what can happen when you really just put your faith first and just trusting the people around you to get everything done. And I'm just blessed to be a part of it, blessed to have been a a captain, um, and one of the captains of that ship that led, you know, Tulane to a historic season. I um, mean, it's something I'm gonna remember for the rest of my life.
1: Greatest turnaround in FBS history, chatting with Nick Anderson, Saints linebacker here on Crunch Time. So rookie minicamp coming up, you get to stay in New Orleans and, and have an opportunity to to make the Saints roster. What does that mean to you to, to not have to pack up and move again? And uh, you know, you know, that underdog mentality that you have headed into minicamp.
7: Oh, most definitely. And I i mean, that's a true blessing within itself, having the opportunity to stay in a city that I've lived in for the past four years and, you know, a city that I've been adjusted to um, and not have to deal with the distractions of uh, packing up and moving and worrying about how I'm going to get my stuff from here to there and staying in different hotels and things like that. And it also played a major role in me deciding to, you know, stay here in the world with the Saints because I'm comfortable here. I feel like, you know, it's a situation where I don't have to worry about those distractions that can put on my focus and doing what I got to do to make the 53-man roster. Um, And just like you said with that chip on my shoulder, my path has never been straight. Um, You know, we just spoke earlier about my Juco route. Um, And also when I first got to Tulane, I didn't, you know, come to Tulane automatically being a starter, had to work my way up. So I feel like, you know, me being an undrafted free agent is just another, you know, chapter to my story of just somebody who's determined to work hard to prove that he belongs, to prove that he has what it takes to be the best. And I'm just looking forward to it, looking forward to, you know, getting out there and competing this weekend, um, competing during OTAs and, you know, just the whole process of this offseason going into the season in the fall.
1: To piggyback off of that, Nick, you know, you talked about the mentality and what you're looking forward to in, in minicamp. What kind of player would the Saints be getting if you earned a 53-man roster spot?
7: They're getting uh, not only a player that can benefit them uh, on the field, but also off the field. They're getting a high-character player, an intelligent player, um, somebody that is really a team player. You know, That was one of the things that we really expressed at Tulane is the fact of putting the team before yourself and the fact that, you know, team success always brings individual success. So they're getting somebody that's going to do anything he can to help the team win, whether that's, you know, being on special teams, whether that's giving a good look in practice, um, whether that's playing different roles on defense, offense, whatever is needed from the team that's going to get out of me. And they're also getting somebody that knows what it's like to win, knows the drive and the passion behind winning, um, knows what it's like to lose, and knows that, you know, that's something that I don't want to experience because I experienced 10 uh, losses in 2021 um, but just somebody's going to come in every day uh, keep his nose clean work hard and also just be a leader for other guys in the locker room and be that locker room guy to keep the team chemistry going and you know just off the field just be a community guy somebody that genuinely loves the city of new orleans loves the people of new orleans has really embraced the city and just love every aspect of it and somebody that just wants to come in and make the program better
1: Nick Anderson, former Tulane Green Wave linebacker and current New Orleans Saints linebacker joining us here on Crunch Time. Nick, appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck in minicamp. No problem. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Nick Anderson, linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. We'll take a timeout and bring you more Crunch Time right after this.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Crunch Time. 540, Matt guest, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We tried to get Brian Lelima to join us for To The Moon, but nobody's home. Have no fear. James Mesh and I can talk about the Houston Astros. We We are capable of doing so. Looking at the Houston Astros, 17 and 18 on the season. They are currently third in the AL West, or tied for third, four and a half games out of the lead. They are tied with Seattle currently. They dropped a game six to four last night to the Los Angeles Angels. They play the Angels again tonight with an 838 first pitch. Framber Valdez will be on the mound for the Astros, two and four on the season with a 2.60 ERA. He's pitched 45 innings, 45 strikeouts. And 10 walks, he's given up four homers. On the other side for the LA Angels is the man, the myth, the legend known as Shohei Ohtani. 4-0 and on the season with a 2.50, 2.54 ERA, 39 innings, 59 strikeouts, 18 walks. And he's given up four home runs as well. Your batting lineup for the Astros, Dubon Bregman Alvarez. Abreu, Tucker, Pena, Jolks, Myers, Maldonado. And the lineup is currently unavailable for the Los Angeles Angels. James, looking at the Astros though, Jordan Alvarez hitting two seven homers, 32 RBIs. Mauricio Dubon has a two eighty-six average on the season. How badly, in your opinion, do you think that they're missing guys like Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley, even now that Chas McCormick ha- has returned to the team but not in the lineup
2: tonight? I don't consider it necessarily desperate because you've had guys step up. But if they want to take this offense to another level because they've had plenty of guys that have gotten hits but they haven't been able to drive enough of them in, them getting that extra firepower of getting. Uncle Mike back, and getting Jose back. That's going to be, to me, a big difference in their offense and their ability to win more games, because even though they've had plenty of injuries to the pitching, they've still been able to play relatively well in that category and not give up as many runs.
1: You know, one thing that's going to be interesting is when Jose Altuve does come back from injury, how do the Astros balance that? Because With the way Mauricio Dubon's been swinging the bat, you want to keep him in the lineup. He's a good defender as well. But you can't really take out Jeremy Pena and move him over to a shortstop. You can't really take out... I mean, I guess you could do what you did last year and have Dubon play center field. But then that takes out Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers. So the Astros are going to have a lot of issues... Arise when when those guys get healthy again. Michael Brantley as well. I mean, he moves to left field more than likely, and and Jordan just becomes the full time DH once again. But you've got you're, you're going to run into an issue when everybody gets healthy that you're going to have too much talent and just not enough spots on the field. Uh, so very intrigued to see how Dana Brown and Dusty Baker handle that over. coming weeks let's take a look at the rest of the standings in baseball start with the al east the tampa bay rays have a six and a half game lead on the baltimore orioles they're 29 and 7 on the season every team in this division has a winning record thus far the yankees are last in that division 19 and 17 on the season they are 10 games out of first place in the al central The Twins hold a a two-and-a-half game lead over the Detroit Tigers. They're 19-16 on the year. Kansas City Royals bringing up the bottom of that pack, 10-26 and 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 nine-and-a-half games out of the lead. And then in the AL West, the Texas Rangers hold a 21-13 record, a two-game lead over the Angels, Mariners, and Astros, four-and-a-half back, and then the Oakland A's at eight-and-28. They are 14 games out of the first place lead, head to the National League. Now, the Atlanta Braves, 24 and 11, they lead the NLE seven games ahead of the 17 and 18 New York Mets. The Marlins, Phillies, and Nationals bringing up the back end of that division. The Pittsburgh Pirates lead their division. No, you're not dreaming. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 21 and 15 to start the season, they have a half game lead. On the Brew Crew, aka the Milwaukee Brewers, in the NL Central. So you're telling me
2: I heard that correctly? You did.
1: The Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates. Are leading the NL Central? Who were projected to select number one overall and draft Dylan Cruz are leading the NL Central. Yes, yes, you heard that correctly. Um, the Chicago Cubs, three and a half games back. The Reds, six games back. And then the St. Louis Cardinals at 12 and 24. They're nine games back of the Pirates. And then in the NL West, the Los Angeles Dodgers, surprise, surprise. 21-15 and 15 to start the season. They have a half-game lead over the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is also another surprise. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in second place. They've, they've had a better start to the season than the Slam Diego Padres. And, you know, the Padres, Machado, Bogart, Soto, Tatis Jr.'s back. They're they're supposed to be the star-studded lineup of the major leagues. We'll we'll see. We'll see about that. They're two and a half games back of the Dodgers, the Giants five games back, and then the Colorado Rockies seven games back at 14 and 22. The Major League Collective Bargaining Agreement was finalized today through the 2026 season. This year's agreement took nearly twice as long to finalize a 99 day holdout for this deal to get done. The deal expires on December 1st of 2026, and it is a 426 page document. Who is reading 426 pages of a legal document? I'm glad that's not my job. Because that just doesn't even sound remotely entertaining. In the MLB, top of the third, Guardians lead the Tigers one to nothing. Bottom of the first, Rays lead the Orioles one to nothing. Bottom of the first, two games, Colorado and Pittsburgh are tied at zero. Mets and Reds tied at zero in the first as well. And then in the top of the first, Toronto and Philly nodded at zero as well. Real quickly, the NHL playoffs. Tonight, Hurricanes, Devils, Game 4, Carolina looking to take a 3-1 lead in that series. And then at 8.30, the Stars and the Kraken from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. Seattle looking to take a 3-1 advantage over the Dallas Stars. Last night, the Chicago Blackhawks won the NHL Draft Lottery, which 99% of people believe is the sweepstakes for... Phenom center Kyle Bedard. The Blackhawks last selected first overall in 2007 when they took Patrick Kane. Chicago had the third best odds to win that number one overall pick at 11.5%. The first seven or eight or so picks went exactly according to the odds, which means that my Washington Capitals are picking number eight in this year's NHL draft. But, you know... I was I was a little aggravated about it at first, James. But then when I looked at the history and thought, man, you know, it's been a while since the Capitals have drafted somebody in the top 10. Well, it had been since 2007. So number eight doesn't sound too bad. I'll take any form of a top 10 pick at this point. So the NHL draft coming up very shortly here in the coming weeks. Again, Connor Bedard seems more than likely headed to the madhouse on madison we'll take a time out here Five we'll come back we'll wrap up today's show and get you set for lsu baseball right here on the game
0: this is crunch time on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros
1: are you tired of your boring man cave. Well, if you are the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the Ultimate Man Cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037 thegamecom or 1041TheGame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlost Furniture, Flat Screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the Ultimate Man Cave Makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh, cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now Now, back back to more more Crunch Time Time. with Miguez and Mesh here on on the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: 555, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. As we begin to wrap up, James, the NBA's all-defensive first team came out earlier today. How was Herb Jones not included? Now, I'm not saying that he needed to be included particularly on the first team. But it felt like he deserved to be at least in
2: one of the teams, whether it was the second or the third team.
1: He wasn't anywhere, which is incredibly surprising. Jaron Jackson Jr., who was named the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year last month, Of course, he's going to be on the first team. On the first team, all defensive, along with Brooks Lopez, Evan Mobley, Drew Holiday, and Bulls guard Alex Caruso. Interesting top five there. Uh, The league's second team was Dylan Brooks, OG Ananobi, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, and Boston Celtics guard Derek White. Where's Marcus Smite? Marcus Smite hey Derek Der- this- I mean Derek
2: I'm glad Derek made it but I was like well, there's a there's a Celtic on there I was like where's Marcus Marcus just isn't good enough after winning depoy last year all of a sudden he's not on any of the teams I mean look man it didn't you, fall
1: off a cliff you can't have it all you can't have it all maybe like some people thought last year him winning depoy was a fluke wrong ooh Juicy. Those are fighting words right there, ain't they? I have my fist ready. Right. I bet you, I bet you, you do. <laughs> I bet you do. Celtics playing tonight at 6 30. The nightcap, Boston, uh, Phoenix, and Denver at 9 o'clock. Come back tomorrow for a 45 minute edition of Crunch Time as we get you set for STM Baseball right here on the game for the Division II Select Semifinals. Have an interview with head coach Cass Hargis to get you set for that game. Thanks to all of our guests today, Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader, Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints. Nick Anderson, the Saints linebacker, for joining us. Once again, 45-minute edition of Crunch Time tomorrow, 4-4.45, to right here on the game. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Let's send it out now to Alex Box Stadium and the voice of the Fighting Tigers of LSU, Mr. Chris Blair.